by Marion Zimmer Bradley. This episode of People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos is brought to you by Copper Cow Coffee. Pour over Vietnamese coffee. Hey, whenever you get to go back to the break room, be the coolest person in the break room with some pour over coffee. Or impress your children like I do. Dusseldorf and Barbacoa love watching me pour coffee into a thing and then dump that into a pint glass of ice. Uh, yeah, they do. They, they find it fascinating as, as, as much as like when I like make creme brulee with a blowtorch. Uh, Color of Space, Marion Zimmer Bradley. Uh, there's going to be quite a few of them. Should be about seven or eight episodes. And that'll bring us into the first week of January. Hope you're having a good 2022. Wow, it's such a future date. I didn't, I didn't, anyway. Uh, People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. I am your host, D.B. Spitzer. Check out the show notes. Find out how to help support the show. Go to pgttcm.com. Check out everything we have to offer. We're on Apple uh, Podcasts. We're on Spotify. We're on YouTube. Check us out. The Colors of Space, Chapter 3. At the top of the ramp, Alari glanced briefly at his papers motioned him through. Bard passed through the airlock and into a brightly lit corridor half full of passengers. The line was moving slowly, and for the first time, Bard had a chance to think. He had never seen violent death before. In this civilized world, you didn't. He knew if he thought about Briscoe, he'd start bawling like a baby. So he swallowed hard a couple of times, set his chin, and concentrated on the trip to Procyon Alpha. That meant this ship was outbound on the Aldebaran run. Proxima Centauri, Sirius, Pollux, Procyon, Capella, and Aldebaran. The line of passengers was disappearing through a doorway. A woman ahead of Bart turned and said nervously, We won't be put into cold sleep right away, will we? No, no, the ship won't go into warp drive until we're well past Pluto. It will be several days at least. Beyond the doorway, the lights dwindled, and a Mentorian interpreter took off his dark glasses saying, Kindly remove your belt, shoes, and other accessories of leather or metal before stepping into the decontamination chamber. They will be separately decontaminated and returned to you. Papers, please. With a small twinge of fright, Bart surrendered them. Would the Mentorian ask why he was carrying two wallets? Inside the other one, he still had his Academy ID card, which identified him as Bart Steele, and if the Mentorian looked through them to check and found out he was carrying two sets of identity papers. But the Mentorian merely dumped all his pocket paraphernalia, without looking at it, into a sack. 
Just step through here. Holding up his trousers with both hands, Bart stepped inside the indicated cubicle. It was filled with faint bluish light. Bart felt a strong tingling and a faint electrical smell, and along his forearms there was a slight prickling where the small hairs were all standing on end. He knew that the invisible R-rays were killing all the microorganisms in his body, so that no disease germ or stray fungus would be carried from planet to planet. The bluish light died. Outside, the Mentorian gave him back his shoes and belt, handed him the paper sack of his belongings and a paper cup full of greenish fluid. Drink this. What is it? The medic said patiently, Remember, the R-rays killed all the microorganisms in your body, including the good ones, the antibodies that protect you against disease, and the small yeasts and bacteria that live in your intestines and help in the digestion of your food. So we have to replace those you need to stay healthy. See? The green stuff tasted a little brackish, but Bart got it down all right. He didn't much like the idea of drinking a solution of germs, but he knew that was silly. There was a big difference between disease germs and helpful bacteria. Another Mentorian official, this one a young woman, gave him a key with a numbered tag and a small booklet with Welcome Aboard printed on the cover. The tag was numbered 246B, which made Bart raise his eyebrows. B-Class was normally too expensive for Bart's father's modest purse. It wasn't quite the luxury Class A, reserved for planetary governors and ambassadors, but it was plenty luxurious. Briscoe had certainly sent him traveling in style. B-Deck was a long corridor with oval doors. Bart found one numbered 246, and not surprisingly, the key opened it. It was a pleasant little cabin, measuring at least six feet by eight, and he would evidently have it to himself. There was a comfortably big bunk, a light that could be turned on and off, instead of the permanent glow walls of the cheaper class, a private shower and toilet, and a placard on the walls informing him that passengers in B-class had the freedom of the observation dome and the recreation lounge. There was even a row of buttons dispensing synthetic foods in case a passenger preferred privacy or didn't want to wait for meals in the dining hall. A buzzer sounded and a mentorian voice announced, Five minutes to room check. Passengers will please remove all metal in their clothing and deposit in the lead drawers. Passengers will please recline in their bunks and fasten the retaining straps before the steward arrives. Repeat. Passengers will please. Bart took off his belt, stuck it and his cufflinks in the drawer, and lay down. Then, in a sudden panic, he got up again. His papers as Bart Steele were still in the sack. He got them out, and with a feeling as if he were crossing a bridge and burning it after him, tore up every scrap of paper that identified him as Bart Steele of Vega 4 graduate of the Space Academy of Earth. Now, for better or worse, he was... Who was he? He hadn't even looked at the new papers Briscoe had given him. He glanced through them quickly. 
they were made out to David Warren Briscoe of Aldebaran IV. According to them, David Briscoe was 20 years old, hair black, eyes hazel, height 6 foot 1 inch. Bart wondered, painfully, if Briscoe had a son, and if David Briscoe knew where his father was. There was also a license, validated with four runs on the Aldebaran Intrasatellite Cargo Company, planetary ships, with the rank of apprentice astrogator, and a considerable sum of money. Bart put the papers in his pants pocket and the torn-up scraps of his old ones into the trash bin before he realized that they looked exactly like what they were, torn-up legal identity papers and a broken plastic card. Nobody destroyed identity papers for any good reason. What could he do? Then he remembered something from the Academy. Starships were closed system cycles. No waste was discarded, but everything was collected in big chemical tanks, broken down to separate elements, purified, and built up again into new materials. He threw the paper into the toilet, worked the plastic card back and forth, back and forth, until he had wrenched it into inch-wide bits and threw it after them. The cabin door opened and a mentorian said irritably, Please lie down and fasten your straps. I haven't all day. Hastily, Bart flushed the toilet and went to the bunk. Now, everything that could identify him as Bart Steele was on its way to the breakdown tanks. Before long, the complex hydrocarbons and cellulose would all be innocent little molecules of carbon, oxygen, hydrogen. They might turn up in new combinations as sugar on the table. The mentorian grumbled, You young people think the rules mean everybody but you, and strapped him far too tightly into the bunk. Bart felt resentful. Just because mentorians could work on lorry ships, did they have to act as if they owned everybody? When the man had gone, Bart drew a deep breath. Was he really doing the right thing? If he'd refused to get out of the robot cab, if he'd driven Briscoe straight to the police, then maybe Briscoe would still be alive. And now it was too late. A warning siren went off in the ship, rising to hysterical intensity. Bart thought incredulously, this is really happening. It felt like a nightmare. His father, a fugitive from the lorry, Briscoe dead, he himself traveling with forged papers to a star he'd never seen. He braced himself, knowing the siren was the last warning before takeoff. First, there would be the hum of great turbines deep in the ship, then the crushing surge of acceleration. He had made a dozen trips inside the solar system, but no matter how often he did it, there was the strange excitement, the little pinpoint of fear, like an exotic taste that was almost pleasant. The door opened, and Bart grabbed a fistful of bed ticking as two lorry came into the room. One of them said in their strange, shrill speech, This boy is the right age. Bart froze. You are seeing spies in every corner, Rancel, said the other, then in universal. Could we trouble you for your papers, sir? Bart, strapped down and helpless, moved his head toward the drawer, 
hoping his face did not betray his fear. He watched the two lhari riffle through his papers with their odd, pointed claws. What is your planet? Bart bit his lip hard. He had almost said Vega Four. Aldebaran Four? The lhari said in his own language. We should have Margolin here. He actually saw them. The other replied, But I saw the machine that disintegrated. I still say there was enough protoplasm residue for two bodies. Bart fought to keep his face perfectly straight. Did anyone come into your cabin? The lhari said in Universal. Only the steward. Why? Is something wrong? There is some thought that a stowaway might be on board. Of course, we could not allow that. Anyone not properly protected would die in the first shift into warp drive. Just the steward, Bart said again. A mentorian. The lorry said, eyeing him keenly. You are ill or discommoded? Bart grasped at random for an excuse. That... That stuff the medic made me drink made me feel sort of sick. You may send for a medical officer after the acceleration, said the lorry expressionlessly. The summoning bell is at your left. They turned and went out, and Bart gulped. Lorry, in person, checking the passenger decks. Normally, you never saw one on board, just mentorians. The lorry treated humans as if they were too dumb to bother about. Well, at least for once, someone was acting as if humans were worthy antagonists. We'll show them someday. But he felt very alone and scared. A low hum rose somewhere in the ship, and Bart grabbed ticking as he felt the slow surge. Then, a violent sense of pressure popped his eardrums. Weight crowded down on him like an elephant sitting on his chest, and there was a horrible squashed sensation dragging his limbs out of shape. It grew and grew. Bart lay still and sweated, trying to ease his uncomfortable position, unable to move so much as a finger. The lorry ships hit twelve gravities in the first surge of acceleration. Bart felt as if he were spreading out, under the weight, into a puddle of flesh. Melted flesh, like Briscoe's. Bart writhed and bit his lip till he could taste blood, wishing he were young enough to bawl out loud. Abruptly, it eased, and the blood started to flow again in his numbed limbs. Bart loosened his straps, took a few deep breaths, wiped his face, ringing wet, whether with sweat or tears, he wasn't sure, and sat up in his bunk. The loudspeaker announced, Acceleration 1 is completed. Passengers on A and B decks are invited to witness the passing of the satellites from the observation lounge in half an hour. Bart got up and washed his face, remembering that he had no luggage with him, not so much as a toothbrush. At the back of his mind, packed up in a corner, was the continuing worry about his father, the horror at Briscoe's ghastly death, the fear of the lorry. But he slammed the lid firmly on them all. For the moment, he was safe. 
They might be looking for Bart Steele by now, but they weren't looking for David Briscoe of Aldebaran. He might just as well relax and enjoy the trip. He went down to the observation lounge. It had been darkened, and one whole wall of the room was made of a clear quartzite. Bart drew a deep breath as the vast panorama of space opened out before him. They were receding from the sun at some thousands of miles a minute, swirling past the ship, gleaming in the reflected sunlight like iron filings moving to the motion of a magnet, were the waves upon waves of cosmic dust, tiny free electrons, ions, particles of gas, free of the heavier atmosphere, themselves invisible. They formed in their billions into bright clouds around the ship, pale, swirling veils of mist. And through their dim shine, the brilliant flares of the fixed stars burned clear and steady, so far away that even the hurling motion of the ship could not change their positions. One by one, he picked out the constellations. Aldebaran swung on the pendant chain of Taurus like a giant ruby. Orion strode across the sky, a swirling nebula at his belt. Vega burned, cobalt blue, in the heart of the lyre. Colors. Colors. Inside the atmosphere of Earth's night, the stars had been pale white sparks against black. Here, against the misty pale swirls of cosmic dust, they burned with color heaped on color the bloody burning crimson of Antares, the metallic gold of Capella, the sullen pulsing of Betelgeuse. They burned, each with its own inward flame and light, like handfuls of burning jewels flung by some giant hand upon the swirling darkness. It was a sight Bart felt he could watch forever and still be hungry to see, the never-changing, ever-changing colors of space. Behind him, in the darkness, after a long time, someone said softly, Imagine being a lorry and not being able to see anything out there but bright or brighter light. A bell rang melodiously in the ship, and the passengers in the lounge began to stir and move toward the door, to stretch limbs cramped like Bart's by tranced watching, to talk quickly of ordinary things. I suppose that bell means dinner, said a vaguely familiar voice at Bart's elbow. Synthetics, I suppose, but at least we can all get acquainted. The light from the undarkened hall fell on their faces as they moved toward the door. Bart, why, it can't be! In utter dismay, Bart looked down into the face of Tommy Kendron. In the rush of danger, he had absolutely forgotten that Tommy Kendron was on this ship to make his alias useless. Tommy was looking at him in surprise and delight. Why didn't you tell me? Or did you and your father decide at the last minute? Hey, it's great that we can go part way together at least. Bart knew he must cut this short very quickly. He stepped out into the full corridor light so that Tommy could see his black hair. I'm sorry, you're confusing me with someone else. Bart, come off it! Tommy's voice died out. Sorry, I'd have sworn you were a friend of mine. 
Bart wondered suddenly, had he done the wrong thing? He had a feeling he might need a friend. Badly. Well, it was too late now. He stared Tommy in the eye and said, I've never seen you before in my life. Tommy looked deflated. He stepped back slightly, shaking his head. Never saw such a resemblance. Are you a vegan? No, Bart lied flatly. Aldebaran. David Briscoe. Glad to know you, Dave. With undiscourageable friendliness, Tommy stuck out a hand. Say, that bell means dinner. Why don't we go down together? I don't know a soul on the ship, and it looks like luck running into a fellow who could be my best friend's twin brother. Bart felt warmed and drawn, but sensibly, he knew he could not keep up the pretense. Sooner or later, he'd give himself away, use some habitual phrase or gesture Tommy would recognize. Should he take a chance, reveal himself to Tommy, and ask him to keep quiet? No, this wasn't a game. One man was already dead. He didn't want Tommy to be the next. There was only one way out. He said coldly, Thank you, but I have other things to attend to. I intend to be very busy all through the voyage. He spun on his heel and walked away before he could see Tommy's eager, friendly smile turn hurt and defensive. Back in his cabin, he gloomily dialed some synthetic jellies, thinking with annoyance of the anticipated good food of the dining room. He knew he couldn't risk meeting Tommy again, and drearily resigned himself to staying in his cabin. It looked like an awfully boring trip ahead. It was. It was a week before the lorry ship went into warp drive, and all that time Bart stayed in his cabin, not daring to go to the observation lounge or dining hall. He got tired of eating synthetics. Oh, they were nourishing enough, but they were altogether uninteresting, and tired of listening to the tapes the room steward got him from the ship's library. By the time they had been in space a week, he was so bored with his own company that even the Mentorian medic was a welcome sight when he came in to prepare him for cold sleep. Bart had had the best education on Earth, but he didn't know precisely how the lorry warp drive worked. He'd been told that only a few of the lorry understood it, just as the man who flew a copter didn't need to understand Newton's three laws of motion in order to get himself back and forth to work. But he knew this much. When the ship generated the frequencies which accelerated it beyond the speed of light, in effect, the ship went into a sort of fourth dimension and came out of it a good many light years away. As far as Bart knew, no human being had ever survived warp drive except in the suspended animation which they called cold sleep. While the medic was professionally reassuring him and strapping him in his bunk, Bart wondered what humans would do with the lorry star drive if they had it. Well, he supposed they could use automation in their ships. The Mentorian paused, needle in hand. Do you wish to be wakened for the week we shall spend in each of the Proxima, Sirius, and Pollux systems, sir? You can, of course, be given enough drug to keep you in cold sleep until we reach the Procyon system. 
Bart wondered if the room steward had mentioned the passenger so bored with the trip that he didn't even visit the observation lounge. He felt tempted. He was getting awfully tired of staring at the walls. On the other hand, he wanted very much to see the other star systems. When he passed through them on the trip to Earth, he'd been too young to pay much attention. Firmly, he put the temptation aside. Better not to risk meeting other passengers, Tommy especially, if he decided he couldn't take the boredom. The needle went into his arm. He felt himself sinking into sleep and, in sudden panic, realized that he was helpless. The ship would touch down on three worlds, and on any of them the lorry might have his description, or his alias. He could be taken off, drugged and unconscious, and might never wake up. He tried to move, to protest, to tell them he was changing his mind, but already he was unable to speak. There was a freezing moment of intense, painful cold. Then he was floating in what felt like waves of cosmic dust, swirling many-colored before his eyes. And then there was nothing, no color, nothing at all, except the nowhere night of sleep. Thank you once again for listening to People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. You can help show your support by going to the show notes and following any of the links that'll tell you how to support the show and how to support our guests. And thank you to all of our guests who you can find in the show notes. Rate, review, subscribe. And remember, patrons get priority access to asking us questions, suggesting topics, even, I don't know, uh, submitting stuff. Actually, you don't have to be a patron to submit anything. That's how Dave got on the show, and that's how you can get on the show, too. It's the People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. Rate, review, subscribe, tell your friends. Thank you for listening. Back to the show. The Colors of Space, Chapter 4 Bart felt cold. He stirred moved his head in drowsy protest. Then memory came flooding back, and in sudden panic, he sat up, flinging out his arms as if to ward away anyone who would lay hands on him. Easy, said a soothing voice. A mentorian, not the same mentorian, bent over him. We have just entered the gravitational field of Procyon, planet Alpha, Mr. Briscoe. Touchdown in four hours. Bart mumbled an apology. Think nothing of it. Quite a number of people who aren't used to the cold sleep drug suffer from minor lapses of memory. How do you feel now? Bart's legs were numb and his hands tingled when he sat up. But his body processes had been slowed so much by the cold sleep that he didn't even feel hungry. The synthetic jelly he'd eaten just before going to sleep wasn't even digested yet. When the mentorian left for another cabin, Bart looked around and suddenly felt he would stifle if he stayed here another minute. He wasn't likely to run into Tommy twice in a row, and if he did, well, Tommy would probably remember the snub he'd had and stay away from Dave Briscoe. And he wanted another sight of the stars before he went into worry and danger. He went down to the observation lounge. 
the cosmic dust was brighter out here, and the constellations looked a little flattened. Textbook tables came back to him. He had traveled 47 light years. He couldn't remember how many billions of miles that was. Even so, it was only the tiniest hop, skip, and jump in the measureless vastness of space. The ship was streaking toward Procyon, a Sol-type star, bright yellow. The three planets, Alpha, Beta, and Gamma, ringed like Saturn and veiled in shimmering layers of cloud, swung against the night. Past them, other stars, brighter stars, faraway stars he would never see, glimmered through the pale dust. Hello, Dave. Been spacesick all this time? Remember me? I met you about six weeks ago in the lounge down here, just out from Earth. Oh, no. Bart turned, with a mental groan to face Tommy. I've been in cold sleep, he said. He couldn't be rude again. What a dull way to face a long trip, Tommy said cheerily. I've enjoyed every minute of it myself. It was hard for Bart to realize that, for Tommy, their meeting had been six weeks ago. It all seemed dreamlike. The closer he came to it, the less he could realize that in a few hours he'd be getting off on a strange world, with only the strange name Raynor III as a guide. He felt terribly alone, and having Tommy close at hand helped, even though Tommy didn't know he was helping. Maybe I should have stayed awake. You should, Tommy said. I only slept for a couple of hours at each warp drive shift. We had a day-long stopover at Sirius 18, and I took a tour of the planet. And I've spent a lot of time down here just stargazing. Not that it did me much good. Which one is Antares? How do you tell it from Aldebaran? I'm always getting them mixed up. Bart pointed. Aldebaran, that's the big red one there, he said. Think of the constellation Taurus as a necklace with Aldebaran hanging from it like a locket. Antares is much further down in the sky, in relation to the arbitrary sidereal axis, and it's a deeper red, like a burning coal, while Aldebaran is like a ruby. He broke off in mid-word, realizing that Tommy was gazing at him in a mixture of triumph and consternation. Too late, Bard realized, he had been tricked. Studying for an exam the year before, he had explained the difference between the two red stars in almost the same words. Bart, Tommy said in a whisper, I knew it had to be you. Why did you tell me, fella? Bart felt himself start to smile, but it only stretched his mouth. He said very low, Don't say my name out loud, Tom. I'm in terrible trouble. Why didn't you tell me? What's a friend for? We can't talk here, and all the cabins are wired for sound in case somebody stops breathing or has a heart attack in space, Bart said, glancing around. They went and stood at the very foot of the quartz window, seeming to tread the brink of a dizzying gulf of cosmic space, and talked in low tones while Alpha and Beta and Gamma swelled like blown-up balloons in the port. Tommy listened, almost incredulous. And you're hoping to find your father with no more information than that? 
It's a big universe, he said, waving at the gulf of stars. The lorry ships, according to the little tourist pamphlet they gave me, touched down at 922 different stars in this galaxy. Bart visibly winced, and Tommy urged, Come to Capella with me. You can stay with my family as long as you want, and appeal to the Interplanet Authority to find your father. They'd protect him against the lorry, surely. You can't chase all over the galaxy playing interplanetary spy all by yourself, Bart. But Briscoe had deliberately gone to his death to give Bart the chance to get away. He wouldn't have died to send Bart into a trap he could easily have sprung on Earth. Thanks, Tommy, but I've got to play it my way, Tommy said firmly. Count me in, then. My ticket has stopover privileges. I'll get off at Procyon with you. It was a temptation to have a friend at his back. He put his hand on Tommy's shoulder, grateful beyond words. But fresh horror seized him as he remembered the horrible puddle of melted robot cab with Briscoe somewhere in the residue. Protoplasm residue enough for two bodies. He couldn't let Tommy face that. Tommy, I appreciate that, believe me. But if I did find my father and his friends, I don't want anyone tracing me. You'd only make the danger worse. The best thing you can do is stay out of it. Tommy faced him squarely. One thing's for sure. I'm not going to let you go off and never know whether you're alive or dead. I'll try to get a message to you, Bart said. If I can. But whatever happens, Tommy, stay with the ship and go on to Capella. It's the one thing you can do to help me. A warning bell rang in the ship. He broke sharply away from Tommy, saying over his shoulder, It's all you can do to help, Tom. Do it, please. Just stay clear. Tommy reached out and caught his arm. Okay, he said reluctantly. I will. But you be careful, he added fiercely. You hear me? And if I don't hear from you in some reasonable time, I'll raise a stink from here to Vega. Bart broke away and ran. He was afraid if he didn't, he'd break up again. He closed the cabin door behind him, trying to calm down so that the Mentorian steward, coming to strap him in for deceleration, wouldn't see how upset he was. He was going to need all his nerve. He went through another decontamination chamber and finally moved, with a line of passengers, out of the yawning airlock under the strange sun into the strange world. At first sight, it was a disappointment. It was a lorry spaceport that lay before him, to all appearances, identical with the one on Earth. Sloping glass ramps, tall colorless pylons, a skyscraper terminus crowded with men of all planets. But the sun overhead was brilliant and clear gold the shadows sharp and violet on the spaceport floor. Behind the confines of the spaceport, he could see the ridges of tall hills and unfamiliarly colored trees. He longed to explore them, but he got a grip on his imagination, surrendering his ticket stub and false papers to the lorry and mentorian interpreter who guarded the ramp. 
The Lari said to the Mentorian in the Lari language, Keep him for questioning, but don't tell him why. Bart felt a cold chill icing his spine. This was it. The Mentorian said briefly, We wish to check on the proper antibody component for Aldebaran natives. There will be a delay of about thirty minutes. Will you kindly wait in this room here? The room was comfortable, furnished with chairs and a vision screen with some colorful story moving on it. Small bright figures in capes, curious beasts racing across an unusual veldt. But Bart paced the floor restlessly. There were two doors in the room. Through one of them, he had been admitted. He could see, through the glass door, the silhouette of the Mentorian outside. The other door was opaque and marked in large letters, Danger! Humans must not pass without special lenses type X. Ordinary space lenses will not suffice. Danger! Lhari opening. Adjust X lenses before opening. Bart read the sign again. Well, that was no way out, for sure. He had heard that the Lhari sun was almost 500 times as bright as Earth's. The Mentorians, alone among humans, could endure Lhari lights. He supposed the warning was for ordinary spaceport workers. A sudden, rather desperate plan occurred to Bart. He didn't know how much light he could tolerate. He'd never been on Mentor but he had inherited some of his mother's tolerance for light. And blindness would be better than being burned down with an Energon gun. He went hesitantly toward the door and pushed it open. His eyes exploded into pain. Automatically, his hands went up to shield them. Light, light. He had never known such cruelly glowing light. Even through the lids, there was pain and red afterimages. But after a moment, opening them a slit, he found that he could see, and made out other doors, glass ramps, pale lorry figures coming and going. But for the moment, he was alone in the long corridor beyond which he could see the glass ramps. Nearby, a door opened to a small office with glass walls, on a peg, one of the silky metallic cloaks worn by Mentorians doing spaceport work was hanging. On an impulse, Bart caught it up and flung it around his shoulders. It felt cool and soft, and the hood shielded his eyes a little. The ramp leading down to what he hoped was a street level was terribly steep, and there were no steps. Bart eased himself over the top of the ramp and let go. He whooshed down the slick surface on the flat of his back, feeling the metal of the cloak heat with the friction, and came to a breathless, jarring stop at the bottom. Phew, what a slide! Three stories at least! But there was a door, and outside the door, maybe, safety. A voice hailed him in Lari. You there! Bart could see well now. He made out the form of a lorry, only a colorless blob in the intense light. You people know better than to come back here without glasses. Do you want to be blinded, my friend? He actually sounded kind and concerned. Bart tensed, his heart pounding. Now that he was caught, could he bluff his way out? He hadn't actually spoken the lorry language in years, 
though his mother had taught it to him when he was young enough to learn it without a trace of accent. Well, he must try. Margill sent me to check, he improvised quickly. They were holding someone for questioning, and he seemed to have gotten away somehow, so I wanted to make sure he didn't come through here. What is the matter that one man can give us all the slip this way? The lorry said curiously. Well, one thing is sure. He's Vegan, or Solarian, or Capellan, one of the Dim Star people. If he comes through here, we'll catch him easily enough while he's stumbling around half-blind. You know that you shouldn't stay long, he gestured. Out this way, and don't come back without special lenses. Bart nodded, jerking the cloak around his shoulders, forcing himself not to break into a run as he stepped through the door the lorry indicated. It closed behind him. Bart blinked, feeling as if he had stepped into pitch darkness. Only slowly did his eyes adapt, and he became aware that he was standing in a city street in the full glow of procyon sunlight, and apparently outside the lorry spaceport entirely. He'd better get to cover. He took off the Mentorian cloak, thrust it under his arm. He raised his eyes, which were adjusting to ordinary light again, and stopped dead. Just across the street was a long, low, rainbow-colored building. And the letters. Bart blinked, thinking his eyes deceived him, spelled out, Eight Colors Trans Shipping Corporation. Cargo, Passengers, Messages, Express A. Raynor One, Manager. End of Chapter 4